0: Well, hello there, welcome to Just Be Nominated, a podcast about movies that is distributed by Lee Enterprises. This show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter for multiple decades who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal, Jared McNett, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa, and me, Chris Lay, podcast operations manager for Lee. This week provides a pretty well-rounded slate of movies. It'll be hitting screens, both big and small, including the near-future sci-fi noir Reminiscence, a ghostly thriller, The Nighthouse, some assassin action with The Protégé, and Jason Momoa fighting for his family in Sweet Girl. In honor of the operatic arthouse musical Annette, which opened the Cannes Film Fest earlier this year, took home its award for Best Director and is now streaming on Amazon Prime. We're sharing some of our favorite truly strange musical films in the Staff Picks section. And finally, we'll each take a whack at some of the latest movie news. You can find links to all the movies that we talk about in the show notes, along with links to our social media, etc. to see what we're up to and or contact us if you want to sound off in our DMs. Please tell your movie-loving pals and let us know what you think in the review section of the show wherever you get your podcast. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. We got Bruce Miller and we got Jared McNett. What have you guys seen lately? I went to Free Guy. What did you think? I've heard... Generally, much more positive
1: reviews for that than I expected. It's you know, it is what it is, okay? but i I, I loved all the cameos. There's a bunch of cameos. Just know that when you're watching, watch everybody because somebody wearing a Christmas sweater could be somebody famous. And I think it it handles Ryan Reynolds well. I think he he is served well with this, not like Hitman's wife's bodyguards friends people but i think he's good in this and you can see where they might want to do sequels might Mm -hmm. but if i were ryan reynolds i'd say no that's it we're doing one of those, and then we'll move on to something else Mm. awesome how about you jared uh
2: i i got three i can uh tick off just because they all are ones that we uh have talked about on the show in uh recent weeks Uh, I should have mentioned this last week, but I saw uh, Suicide Squad uh, last week. And for the most part, I think uh, I've made it clear. I'm pretty much checked out on like any kind of superhero stuff. But I actually did enjoy Suicide Squad. It was actually pretty fun. And like the monster stuff in it, especially with like the giant starfish and everything, was just an absolute blast. Um, that, That was the kind of stuff in the movie I think I appreciated the most. Um, I also saw uh, Stillwater. I saw that last weekend. Um, and I got to say, definitely one of the better uh, Matt Damon performances, I think, that I've seen. He was uh, fantastic in it. And I realized that some of the movies I like him in most are ones where he's doing a southern accent, because also a big fan of him in uh, Ford versus Ferrari, where he's doing a, a southern accent, too. Um and it was, it was
0: Bruce, uh, Bruce, a few weeks ago when you brought up Stillwater as a movie that you'd seen in a, in a preview uh, and liked. I think you you said that Matt Damon was going full Tommy Lee Jones.
1: He sound does he sound like Tommy Lee Jones?
2: He, he, does. He, he, he does. Like in the movie, I couldn't shake that after a while. And to me, he especially sounded like Tommy Lee Jones, like later on in his career, like in like No Country for Old Men. Like once I realized I was like, where do I where does that voice sound like it's from? And then I was like, oh, it sounds like Tommy Lee Jones. And then I just could not shake that for the rest of the movie. Um, but yeah, I guess I realized that, though, that uh, when Matt Damon's doing Southerners, I'm a big fan of it. Um, and then I saw uh, Don't Breathe 2 on, uh, on Tuesday. And uh, not a big fan. Um,
1: <laughs> and you'd be our easy mark. You'd be the yeah. one who would be the fan.
2: Well, Um, I don't know how much I gushed about the first one last week but like the first one genuinely is one of my favorite horror films of the 2010s but even trying to put that aside and just let this movie stand on its own it's pretty weak and like one of the weirdest things I think I've seen in a while in a movie happens near the beginning where there's literally a character wearing a baseball cap that has the name of the production company for the movie on the baseball cap which like If that's a meta thing, it's not a good meta thing. It's just a really lazy kind of like costume job. (laughs) Cheap. Yeah, very cheap.
0: I think the the first movie benefited from zero expectations. And I think a lot of people discovered it on on a streaming service. And I know that's how I watched it. (laughs) And I'm kind of wondering if the second one will maybe benefit from that down the line. I I haven't seen it. I mean, I probably will see it eventually once it hits HBO or
1: Hulu or wherever it ends up. One of the things I saw in the trailers this week was from the studio that brought you. And I thought, God, how kind of strange is that? The studio? You know how many films they might put out in a year's time? One might be good.
0: Yep. Well, I mean, you've got a handful of studios that really have a specific branding. To what they do, uh, you know. Obviously, A twenty four is is a big deal. Uh, I feel like yeah, that's neon. the only
2: one people would care about if they said from the studio of, or maybe maybe Neon or something else. But yeah, the list of ones that people would care about is slim.
0: Yeah, but A twenty four really is interesting in that they have leaned so hard into branding themselves with all of this merch that they put out and you know, really cultivating a an online you know
1: stan army (laughs) so they you know they kind of have that buzz that miramax had back when miramax was good yeah um let's see i you go to chris come on
0: i didn't go to anything but i watched a movie called together together on hulu and it uh, came out earlier this year. I didn't know anything about it. I think I just saw somebody mention it on on Twitter. And it's uh, it's directed by Nicole Beckwith and stars Ed Helms and Patty Harrison.
2: Oh, yeah. I remember seeing the trailers for this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Patty Harrison plays a surrogate for Ed Helms's child. Uh, Ed Helms is a single, significantly older man. And it is about the relationship that develops between them over the course of this process and yeah i mean it's not any kind of big to do but everybody puts in really good performances and it is fantastic i mean I'll, yeah it's, it's it's a it's a heartwarming you know movie in in that way so and it's on hulu
2: mm-hmm. And uh people might know uh Patty Harrison from uh she's in the full season of uh shrill and then she's also in both seasons of uh I think you should leave where in the second season she's the woman who can't stop uh drinking wine that's on the fake uh, shark tank show. She's and She's really her. really funny. Yeah, it's it does scare her how much wine she drinks.
1: <laughs> oh, so that's what we've been up to. Mm-hmm. Um now, I've been doing interviews and Netflix is is really starting to do a lot of foreign films that they will either dub or, or subtitle, but they really like the dubbing for some reason. And, you know, those were always prime, let's remake this and put somebody who is an American actor or actress in it and just call it ours. But now it looks like they're just going straight to the source and um, dubbing. And the it's, dubbing is not
0: bad. It seems like Lupin was sort of the the canary in the coal mine to see how far they could take that um, Lupin based on the, uh, was it Lupin Arsenine, whatever, the the French uh, thief. And that was dubbed and did really good for them. And I think they're just trying to experiment with ways that they can get all of this foreign content to be. Translated across the board, and you know, not just. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see if eventually they can uh, train American audiences to watch Bollywood films uh, across the board because they've got a ton of Bollywood movies. Um. That.
1: Yeah. So. They need those Korean ones. Those are the ones that are getting attention. Well, yeah. Speaking of Netflix. Um, Bruce did you watch a
0: preview of Sweet Girl at all? I have not. Okay. I have not. Is it good? I I haven't seen it. I I kind of have low expectations. It's uh Jason Momoa. I'm not going to, you know, go on like a full rant or anything cuz it's it's fine. It seems like uh but yeah, the the pedigree of it seems very Jason Momoa star vehicle centered, I guess. It's a um, yeah, he's, you know, trying to go after his kid and the, uh, yeah. Anyway,
2: action. I, <laughs> I love how, and people have mentioned this before. I love how crappy the posters are for like Netflix stuff. There's, and I get it. Cause they're, they're going like for something that's like, you're just going to see a star and click on it. But like their posters are so bad. I was just looking at the one for sweet girl while you were talking, Chris, and just like, they, tells you nothing about the movie whatsoever, other than that there's a, a man and a, a girl involved and it looks like Jason Momoa is holding an ax.
0: Yeah, so
1: Sweet Girls on Netflix, um, I, I don't know, I feel- You I feel know what kinda... I hate about Netflix is where they have that list of, you might like this. And then they're like really insulting pictures where you think, where did you get the idea that I would like this? Because I watched your preview for two minutes
0: yeah it's really interesting. I've been going into Netflix and deleting all of the like the half viewed things uh, and it has greatly altered the the kind of stuff that Netflix keeps trying to serve up to me and i'm it's yeah i I, I encourage anyone just to go and throw throw Netflix a couple curveballs and see how that affects the <laughs> what it tries to make you watch because it they have their thumb on the scale really of, of you know how how these things are you know flowed into
1: the you might like columns but chris, you doing really want to see and then they don't give it to you
2: yeah chris you doing that sounds like the netflix version of like deleting your cookies from like your computer <laughs>
1: honestly yeah Give us a Make sure you write out how to do all this so that mm-hmm. I can follow suit because sure. I'll send you some
0: screenshots with, uh, you know, helpful arrows and and whatnot. Right. Push
1: here now um, That's need. or one of those uh, shares uh screen shares that you do with Apple people. I'm always sharing my screen with Apple. And then I think, do I have anything on my desktop that they shouldn't be looking at? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? but no, I definitely, I, I, end up in the same chair, thing. the screen. Yeah. Nah, go ahead. Let's see. And then he called, Oh, Jared.
0: What about the night house?
2: The night house. Uh, one I'm actually excited about big surprise, considering that it's a, uh, a horror, uh, movie, but, uh, basically the gist of it is, uh, it has uh, Rebecca Hall, uh, who people might know from, uh, the gift, another great horror movie from the 2010s and also the uh, town. She's the one that gets kidnapped uh, in the town. And basically the plot of it is Rebecca Hall is a widow who finds out some very uh, unsettling uh, stuff about a house that her late uh, husband built. And from there, uh, hijinks ensue pretty much. Um, And for a, uh, low stakes uh horror movie it's gotten pretty good reviews it has like an 84 on Rotten Tomatoes and it has like a 67 on uh Metacritic which is pretty good for a horror movie coming out uh, this time of year so that's definitely one I'm uh, gonna check out and it'll tide me over until uh, next week when uh Candyman comes out so heck
1: yeah you know I once confused her with Emily Blunt and I think they're both in, aren't they both in uh, Devil Wears Prada? So maybe that was what it was.
2: I really like Rebecca Hall anytime she's in anything. I think she's a really good actress.
1: But don't you see the, the similarity where you go, hmm,
2: she's mm-hmm. getting the
1: leftovers from Emily.
2: <laughs> one that, yeah. one like that, but it's more of I guess like the indie one and the blockbuster one that uh, my girlfriend mentioned is uh, Margot Robbie and Samara Weaving. She was just talking about that the other day because they, they, they even look kind of similar. So there's another one for you. There's a free uh, similarity. There we go. Yeah, and, it's uh,
1: amazing how they get this, you know, one gets the buzz and another doesn't. What's <laughs> mm-hmm. just the, the female version of all the, the Chris's? Yeah. Well, Myself Elizabeth, excluded. Elizabeth <laughs> Banks is always a default for somebody else, too, where you go, hmm, is that Elizabeth Banks? Yeah. So yeah. that's probably why she's yeah.
0: tried to expand into you know directing
1: and producing. Uh, and yeah. She has a, a she doesn't she do a game show too? So
0: probably. Yeah. She is a prolific uh, multi-hyphenate, as they say in, in the trades. Um yeah, and if anybody wants to prep for the night house, uh David Bruckner, the director, uh, he did a movie called The Ritual, which is on Netflix, and it is Really fantastic, actually. It's uh, very moody, low budget, uh, simple kind of jump scare type, you know, men in the woods. But it has this whole emotional component to it that is really surprising and, and multifaceted. And then the writers of the Night House, uh, Luke uh, Petrowski and Ben Collins, have a movie that you can watch on Shudder called Super Dark Times, which is a very traumatic thing to watch uh so in a, yeah, the, in a good
2: way the uh the backstory stuff in the ritual i thought was pretty good from what i remember when i watched it like um of like this horrible thing that all collectively happened to this group of friends that is hanging over the whole uh trip that they take to to sweden
0: yeah um, i mean it's the it ends up being uh like the looming essence of it of the the scariness is that's it's uh, regret and remorse and grief compounded with, uh, having to digest the, the cowardice of, of this one act that somebody did or didn't do in a moment. And yeah, it's makes everything really relatable. So yeah, I, I would definitely suggest the ritual, which is on Netflix, uh, if, if, if anybody goes and sees the Nighthouse or wants to pregame for the Nighthouse, I don't know if the ritual is really good for pregaming for anything, <laughs> but you know, there you go. And then uh, there is, uh, I woke up bright and early and watched Reminiscence on HBO Max.
1: It's also I bet it's bad. I bet it's bad. I didn't think it was bad it's just meh
0: recreating memories Mm, great well no it's not necessarily recreating memories um it's not along that uh eternal sunshine level of uh you know memory stuff but it's i was more concerned by because it it's set in miami in a near future uh, the water levels have risen and turned Miami into basically a whole bunch of canals that everyone's navigating with these old John boats. Um, so it's
2: completely fiction, it's not something that could happen.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the it, it makes it very like it. It tries to be this like sci-fi noir, and they don't quite get the tone of the noir consistent all the way through, uh, but. I mean, I will say the, I thought, I thought the set design was fantastic and the special effects are really great. Uh, at no point did anything with, you know, the crane shots or the drone shots that they got of these exteriors mixed in with the risen water levels really detract from anything. Um, and that was directed by Lisa joy, who, uh, Wrote it, directed it, and was one of the producers along with her husband, Jonathan uh, Nolan. Jonathan Nolan, who the two of them co-created Westworld for HBO. So with that, it's that level of kind of high-minded sci-fi, and it was fine. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it didn't it didn't I, feel like they were dumping it? But
2: I still haven't seen a second of Westworld.
1: Yeah.
2: It's a show show I've missed completely.
1: You're okay. (laughs) There, there, there's a series called The Other Two. Have you seen this? And it's coming on HBO Max. And um, yeah, it's about the, the brother and sister of a kid who's kind of like a Justin Bieber. His career blows up and they're kind of just the other two. They're not anything special. Well, the brother in the new season that's starting very soon, the brother doesn't want to do hosting he hosts like buzzfeed entertainment minute i mean just kind of crappy little things and it's not enough to make a a living so he says i want somebody who would put me up for acting roles i'd even do one of those unmemorable netflix series that are gone in six episodes and you don't remember you watched it and that's that's the kind of thing there's too much content way too much content so if there are ones that you just kind of say i don't need it we're good that's fine
0: especially something like westworld where i think the first season was heralded with a lot of uh you know pomp and circumstance and you know proclaimed to be this very good show which it was and then every single season after that kind of got more and more muddled and yeah, I think I stopped watching about halfway through the second season, and uh, I've meant to go back, but just haven't.
2: It it seems like more and more too. Like not only is there so much more content, which obviously we've talked about before, but it seems like more than ever too. Like a lot more movies and shows are being becoming more and more plot heavy versus anything else. So that like you watch it and like maybe you'll remember some of the plot, but you won't remember any of like the real like feeling or mood or like any of the vibes or anything else. The movie, you'll just remember, oh, yeah, that was the movie where like Miami was flooded. And that's all you'll remember from the movie.
0: There's definitely a couple of interesting set pieces that will stick around a little bit more, but it's yeah. It's going to end up being something where, you know, 10 years from now,
1: everyone's just going to say, oh yeah, that movie, but it's going to get memory hold. Yeah. It'll be tough trivia questions on Jeopardy. Yeah,
0: (laughs) exactly. That's what I predict. Or, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll end up getting a little bit further embedded in the the cultural collective consciousness than than I'm projecting. Uh, Did either of you guys... Want to talk
1: about the protege, Maggie Q? Maggie Q. Love me some Maggie Q. She's good at playing killers and things, but um, you know she's friends with or the mentee of Samuel L. Jackson, and then she kind of goes out on her own, and then she's got old uh, Michael Keaton to take care of. So, yeah, you know they're not. They need to herald her as the star because that's what she is. The others aren't the stars. She's the star. But they're worried. So they say, let's go with Batman. Batman's the star of this show. We'll do him. Yeah. That's one where I'm kind of hoping that it will... I mean,
0: we've mentioned Atomic Blonde in the past as a really great female-led action movie. And didn't really get a lot of love when it came out it was very stylish very well done and uh you know it's it's i think getting a a cult following but i'm kind of wondering if if the protege is going to end up in a similar scenario but i don't know i haven't uh
2: or what was the one even chris from a couple weeks ago that you watched that had like a bigger cast to it That was also a little bit in this vein that you uh at least seemed to like a little bit
0: Oh, was it the um
2: I think it was a Netflix one. Bubblegum milkshake, I think, or that sounds right. Let me that doesn't lie.
1: Something... You might like this list.
2: Some something milkshake, I feel like.
1: Gunpowder milkshake
2: was that's it. it. Yeah.
0: And that was another where it was totally fine. But the yeah. the tone that they committed to for that was didn't quite feel like it was was you know matching what they were going for but i certainly enjoyed it i think they wanted to make more of a candy colored john wick for for a lady and for a female lead and it gets there on some levels but isn't nearly as well thought out and consistent so yeah i i will probably end up going to see The protege in the theater at some point. Because that that definitely seems like one. Yeah. That definitely seems like one that will benefit from a
1: more people in the room. When I went to free guy, it was like cheap night. And so you got cheap pop and popcorn and the tickets were cheap and it was a crowd and they were cheering along. So it does affect the way you view something. Yeah, I mean, I really, I really do want to go see Free Guy. It
0: seems like that is doing a lot better than than I expected. And I think they've already
1: got uh, Free Guy 2 in the works. I don't know. Yeah, it's cute. Just make sure that you don't read anything because it'll spoil all of the surprises. Sounds good. I can do that. And then uh, also
0: out today, well, I think it's been in theaters for two weeks uh, in limited release depending on the city that you live in. But uh, Annette, which is directed
1: by Leos Carax. It was a big Cannes Film Festival thing that we could just see disappear.
0: Yeah, um, and it is bonkers. It just hit Amazon Prime because Amazon picked it up for distribution, maybe even before Cannes. Uh, but it was scheduled as the opening night selection for can which is always an honor uh, in that it just kind of sets a tone and you know puts a a, that much more of a spotlight on a particular film and this stars adam driver and uh marianne as a couple and he is a stand-up comedian and she is an opera singer and uh man it is a weird movie it was written for the screen by the sparks brothers ron uh mayel uh the mayel brothers better known as sparks a rock and roll band has been doing their thing since the what mid 70s i think early 70s maybe i don't know they've been around for a very long time and they wrote all the music for it as well it is a straight up musical with loads of dialogue being delivered in the form of song it's another one that I I watched this morning and I want to recommend it very highly but man
1: not everyone's going to jive with this movie (laughs) when you're watching those that early in the morning maybe you're not really as critical as you should be well I watched it I watched uh the reminiscence and then I
0: watched the other one and I definitely had a couple cups of coffee me at that point and I was paying real solid attention because that's one that you have to definitely keep an eye on partly because there's just so many ridiculous things their child in in Annette that whose name is Annette um is a I don't think that's a (laughs) um too much of a spoiler alert I, I won't say where her her plot goes or where everybody else ends up by the end of it but i mean the film i mean the story was really truly operatic and i can't stop thinking about
1: the movie so yeah well yeah the, um, what your recommendations are going to be this week i mean that's yeah uh yeah and the staff picks were kind of uh, leapfrogging
0: from annette's Into that, and we're just going to do really strange movie musicals. Um, And I am going to pick Phantom of the Paradise, which is Brian De Palma, one of his earlier films, uh, kind of a rock opera remake of. Phantom of the opera, but in this case, you've got a 70s rock and roll producer putting the whole thing together, and it's really fantastic. I mean, he, I don't know, De Palma gets so much, uh, you know, guff maybe for ripping off Hitchcock all the time, and this one, yeah, I mean, there's a whole, uh, very long dolly shot in the opening uh, following a bomb that's being placed in, in the trunk of a car or something. It's, yeah, I... Oh, that's, uh,
2: that's Orson Welles. That's not even... That's Orson Welles, but the, he does yeah. like
0: a split screen or... Anyway, yeah. Um,
2: yeah. But so, I suppose uh, if you're going to steal, steal from the best as the uh, old saying uh, goes. Absolutely. And uh, the the
0: producer is played by Paul Williams, who is i think oscar winner oscar winner paul williams uh renowned songwriter paul williams i think there's a really good documentary out about him as well he did um a bunch of songs for the muppets and yeah you throw a rocket you've got paul williams to blame for whatever song you hit but fantastic soundtrack energetic film dark (laughs) very dark but so yeah, so what, have, uh, what about you, uh, Jared or Bruce?
2: I, uh, I'll go ahead and uh, throw one out to, for free, just for people, just since you mentioned uh, Paul Williams. Uh, Paul Williams is on the uh, fourth and final album by uh, Daft Punk, who uh, do have a, uh, a musical from uh, back in the day that people should uh, check out that is called, and I want to make sure I get the number of fives right, uh, Interstellar 5555, it's five, 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 four fives, that just has a, a gobsmack of uh, uh, daft punk music uh, sprinkled throughout just a very strange uh, interstellar uh, as the name would suggest for the title movie to check out so that's the freebie and then my other one uh, that i was just watching uh, last night actually for the first time uh, because this whole uh, prompt got me to do it is a uh, streets of fire which is a movie that uh, Walter Hill made in uh, 1984. Walter Hill also did uh, The Warriors, is probably the one people would most immediately know, or I guess uh, 48 Hours. He did the first one and I think the second one as well. And then he also did The Driver, which is what uh, Drive is kind of loosely based off of. It's got some uh, really good uh, music in it. Um, There's an opening number like almost as soon as the movie starts. Uh, and Ray Cooter did a bunch of the music for it, who's uh, a god among uh, men for all kinds of collaborative efforts he's done over the years, not just with rock stuff, but he also did like uh, music for the Buena Vista Social Club, the Cuban like uh, musical group. Um, so it's, it's cool hearing him do stuff in a musical context. And then just the, the cast of the movie is, uh, is pretty bonkers too. Um, Willem Defoe shows up in it, earlier Willem Defoe. Uh, rick moranis is in it and like a more serious part which is kind of a uh, delightful uh diane lane in it and uh one of the bills uh pullman pax pullman bill pullman is uh is in it uh, as well and it's just a really really ridiculous movie again made in the 80s but with like all kinds of 50s stuff very heavily like dropped in throughout it so Uh, it's, uh, called like a rock and roll fable on the posters and stuff for the movie. And that's, uh, it's pretty fitting. So streets of fire by, uh, Walter Hill is my pick.
0: And that I think just hit Netflix maybe a month ago or so. And I think all of a sudden everyone was watching it. Like, I think it was probably in like the Netflix top 10 for a little while. It's always interesting to see what movies randomly pop up in, in the top 10. Uh, that you're just like, what? Like, why is uh, Major Pain starring (laughs) Marlon Wayans uh, or Damon Wayans? Why is Major Pain starring uh, Damon Wayans in the top 10 being watched by so many people? So
1: have you ever done that, though, where you work to get one to move up the list and you call all your friends and you say, please watch this? Have you? Yes. And it worked. (laughs) What are the movies that you did? It was an independent film from somebody in St. Louis, and we um, we got behind it, and we made sure we watched it all in the night on the same night, um, so that then you know the, the the numbers would be there for it, so that it would show up, and it did, it did. So you can you can make a difference.
2: So everyone, now, if there's some movie that shows up in your feed and you don't know where the hell it came from, you can blame Bruce. <laughs>
1: yeah, just call the friends and then get something else to trend in its place and you'll be all right. But it was, it was a fascinating kind of uh, experiment we did. Now, my pick of bad, is it bad? How do I want to phrase Strange. It? Strange. Okay, Xanadu. Ooh. Xanadu is like the oddest, baddest kind of who thought of this crap where it involves muses uh rollerblading an artist gene kelly it's just the damnedest thing you've ever seen but it's not good as a movie it's great as a stage play because they do it as a spoof and um this girl suddenly she she starts speaking uh, with an australian accent and it's all it, it spoofs the the movie itself so you get you have to kind of know the movie to be able to lean in and enjoy the fun of all the, the crap in, this, in the stage version. But it has all those songs. And you think, really? These old disco songs are kind of still hanging in there. And it, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. Olivia Newton-John. Um, is it Michael Beck? Um, Gene Kelly. Yeah, it's odd, odd. And you think, I don't know, whoever thought this was a good idea. But
2: that was the last movie Gene Kelly was in.
1: Isn't that terrible? Where they kind of like and then they're dead. And you think, well, gee, that kind of ended on a bad note, didn't it? Well,
2: we've talked about this before, and I mentioned Orson welles a little bit ago. That one's still the worst. The last, yeah, Transformers. That one's the all-timer, I think.
1: But if you if you work right, you can have somebody use your voice from the things you've recorded, and mm-hmm. then um you could be in a better movie as like Lawrence Olivier did a bunch of crap toward the end too, but I think they used his voice for something good, so he doesn't have that kind of specter that's hanging over his career.
2: I can't believe a, uh, a musical movie that had a bunch of music from uh, ELO would be bad.
1: True though, true dad. <laughs> Is that what they say? Mm-hmm. Sure. Isn't that what the young people are all saying? True dad.
2: Uh, Maybe the young people 10, 15 years ago, but we'll let let that
1: slide. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to amuse yourself, you know, isn't that the way it goes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: Chris, I am really shocked that you did not pick Popeye.
1: I'm not a huge fan of
0: Popeye. Uh, I mean, I I
2: don't remember songs.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Popeye's got songs by uh, Nilsson.
1: Yep. Really? Yeah, Nilsson.
0: Schmilson. Wow. I think Popeye is underrated. It's better than people give it credit for, but it is by no means, I think, in in the top half of Altman's output, which, I mean, that's not necessarily faint praise because, I mean, he put out like 700 films, but yeah, Popeye. It, it,
2: as soon as you mentioned this as the topic, I just assumed that was going to be lock it in, uh, Chris's pick of the week.
0: <laughs> I am perfectly happy with that being my brand, even <laughs> if even if I deviate. <laughs> it's all it's all about uh, scrambling the algorithms, you know. It's uh... just
2: like uh, the other day, I finally watched uh, After Hours uh, for the first time in, in my continued meandering, frustratingly slow watch through of Scorsese movies. And uh, I liked it. And then I went to log it on uh, Letterboxd and I was like, oh, Chris watched it. And I saw it was like four and a half stars or whatever. And I was like, yep, this is not at all surprised that Chris was a big fan of After Hours.
0: After Hours, I mean, I've seen it probably like three times maybe over the past mm-hmm. like 20 years. And that movie gets better and better every single time I see it. Um, I, yeah, maybe up there as a, a personal favorite Scorsese, honestly. Mm. So, it was
2: kind of
1: after hours. You might like Popeye.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that would be a weird one too. You'd have to watch Popeye first, and like when I watched uh, After Hours, which is very much a, as the name would suggest, a like late night hazy kind of movie. When I was watching it, it was like the end of a Saturday night, and I was just like watching it on my couch. And I actually dozed off a couple of times and woke back up and like rewinded it and like finished it that way. And I'm kind of glad I did. Cause it sort of fits with the way that movie feels where it keeps feeling like you're reliving the same thing that's just happened.
0: <laughs> There's a very intense kind of dream logic to the way mm-hmm. that encounters happen and then recur and. But uh, not in a David Lynch
2: way. That's the no. thing. It's not in like an unsettling way, but there is still like a dream logic to it.
0: Absolutely yeah that's one yeah throw that out there and there's that's it's not a musical but there's definitely a lot of music in there i think uh yep was it fear is the the band that's playing or there's mm-hmm. you know there's some and then, know, intense like hardcore
1: punk band
2: and then not surprisingly plenty of a doo that uh, marty works in too. so yeah i Absolutely. still don't remember
1: that popeye was a musical that's that slays me <laughs> oh yeah yeah and that's I, out there Popeye, you know, I told you that I interviewed the little boy who was Sweet Pea. (laughs) No, you did not sell us this. Okay. (laughs) He is Robert Altman's grandson. Hmm. But I did it right after the movie was released. And I went to their home. They were living in, I think, Nebraska at the time. And I have pictures. I should send you pictures of me with Sweet Pea. Um, the boy didn't talk that much. And the mother thought he got the part because he kind of like talked out of one side of his mouth. And grandpa thought that was a good idea. So he would look more like sweet pea. And um, what I noticed that was really kind of cool, because this would be me. She had all of the movie posters of her dad's movies hanging in the house, the dog. And I thought, I would so like to be that person. I would love to have all the music. The, of course, my luck is that I have a dad who didn't do good movies. So it'd be kind of a, a waste. But
2: yeah, the kid would have cool. a poster up for like Daddy Daycare 2 or something.
1: Right. right. It'd be all those kind of bad sequels that didn't make it. Yeah. These are yeah. Yeah. But you'd be getting dropped off to school in a Bentley. So
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, you take the good with the bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. there well, you You have to give some things. But yeah. But he was Wesley, Wesley something Wesley was his name. And I don't think he ever worked after that. I don't think he did any other movies.
2: Wesley Ivan Hurt.
1: There you go. So if you Google that somewhere, you might be able to find the story I did on him. Back in 1980, whatever it might have been. I'll be intrigued to dig that up. Yeah, I've got a newspapers.com account
0: that I should wade into and pull a bunch of
1: old screenshots of uh articles that you made yeah i'm not making this crap up this is not i'm not just shining you on here with this stuff this i'm not this doubting is- you
2: I, I just don't know when like that you thought we would have talked before about you interviewing the the kid well, i don't or- know if
1: i dropped that one in a thing <laughs> yeah, I, think we did, I think we did mention robert altman at one time so i don't know if i Oh, we mentioned him
2: repeatedly, but I just—I would have remembered if you mentioned. Oh, yeah, I talked to the like. I went to the house of the kid who played Sweepy yeah. in a movie from 40 years ago,
1: and I have pictures of me holding the kid. So there you go. I could practically be Popeye. Yeah, and I've interviewed Robert Altman too, so that's kind of fun. But I didn't mention, by the way. You know, I know your grandson. I didn't mm-hmm. throw that one out. Depending on how you phrase it, that would come off as creepy. You know. <laughs> Uh, It might
0: not be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of newspapers and whatnot, these transitions, I'm sorry. Um, They're not always the best.
2: The top top of the line, Chris, don't don't doubt yourself.
0: I don't know about that. Um, Bruce, you got any uh, movie news that's worth uh, it? No, I don't.
1: And uh, all I've been um, kind of obsessing over is that the guy who named himself as the new Jeopardy host has now. It's As the Jeopardy host and they're looking. So there you go. I'm going to allow it because. Well, I mean, speaking of Robert
0: Altman, actually, I can, I can connect this all together because Alex Trebek was in shortcuts.
1: And he's in free guy.
0: Oh boy. (laughs) This is, it's all coming together. Yeah.
1: Alex Trebek. your man of the week.
0: The situation at, at Jeopardy seems uh, entirely avoidable.
2: <laughs> this, this really just all seems like karmic justice for either Aaron Rodgers or Levar Burton not getting that uh, that uh, job instead.
0: <laughs>
1: exactly. Well, it makes no sense. And really, if you're the producer, would you want to do that job too? Makes no sense. No. Hmm. What have you got, so, Jared? He's not going to be the host. They're looking for somebody now, they think it's another shot for LeVar Burton.
0: Yeah. Well, they were, I mean, I think, scheduled to be filming.
1: Like they've starting... already done a week with him. He's yeah. already <laughs> had a week, so that'll run. And, and then, then I bet mean, can... he'll he'll come back as a fill-in. You wait. Yeah,
2: so so make sure to buy your uh, swag from the week that he's on as the, the host because that's going to be limited edition, uh, very ra- rare, valuable uh, swag
0: yeah. But I feel like, I mean, like they have to, I don't know, I don't know if they're like legally obligated to air the Jeopardy episodes that they've recorded with him so far.
1: He's the producer, though. They're airing them. Sure. I mean, yeah.
0: I think uh, if I was him, I'd just just walk entirely away.
1: (laughs) Well, if you had been known for like harassing people or whatever it was that he's guilty of. And then you set yourself up to be a bigger target. I think I'd still stay as just the executive producer, and that'd be fine.
2: I just, I just think it's a shame that he is bringing such shame and disgrace to the great name Michael Richards. It's very, very unfortunate. That name had, that name had nothing but positivity around it before Ooh. before this week.
0: Oh boy, <laughs> there we go. Well, I mean, we can. That's uh, a that's a solid little bridge to uh, Jared? No, it's
2: not, no, it's not. It's not a good bridge. Um, one what the, just uh, what's
0: the news that you got, buddy? Uh,
2: I feel like I just keep picking ones that are news bits that make me angrier than anything else. And the one for this week is that there's gonna be another pet cemetery related thing coming out from Paramount players, which is the thing I was not even aware of until this week, actually. And one of the people in this go round of uh, Pet Cemetery is going to be Henry Thomas uh, from uh, ET, who's actually been in some horror stuff before. He was in a really good uh, Civil War horror movie from the 2000s called uh, Dead Birds, which also has like an earlier Michael Shannon performance in it. It's a really fun movie; people should check out. But uh, I I didn't like the 2019 Pet Cemetery movie that much, and I don't know why they're already doing another one. Like. I know that studios are pretty starved for like IP, but like to already be circling back to something from two years ago that didn't do that well and doing it in another form, just, I don't know, seems pretty weak. But I mean, so, anything,
0: anything and everything Stephen King related is everything. Yeah. Like it's, you know, you're at least going to make your budget back and mm-hmm. possibly end up with something that is going to be, you know, standing the test of time, but it's going to be hotly debated and contested by you know hundreds of thousands of people, regardless of whether it's good or bad. Um, I mean, it's I, I'm not saying that it is a classy thing to you know go out of there. There's there's no real I think art to the idea of them doing this, but it's from a financial standpoint, sure, yeah.
1: You know, the, there's kind of a, a, a curve with all of these. Starts out, somebody else will direct or adapt a Stephen King book. And then they say, oh, that's awful. And they ask Stephen, and he says, oh, that's not what I thought of at all. So then somebody else says, we're going to try and do redo it. And so they take a shot at it. And Stephen says, no, they didn't quite hit it. The third time, they then say, Stephen, would you like to write the screenplay for this? He says, sure, I'll do it. This is my favorite edition ever. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, that is one good thing that Stephen King is, uh, you know, always ready to take a shot at is he'll, he'll blurb anything.
2: (laughs) Do a new, do a new like Salem's lot or something. It's been a little longer since you've done a Salem. There's been a Salem's lot circle back to that before you circle back to Pet Cemetery again. I'm sure
0: that that's been
1: optioned and is in some form of pre-production right now. Jerusalem's Lot, which is one of his short stories, has been turned into the TV series, Chapel Wait, starring Adrian Brody. And that's, I think it's starting this next week. And I did talk to Adrian about it. And he said he loves Stephen King, but he never read it when he was young. He read it when he was older. And he says, what's great is that he sets a great tone, which allows you to expand on it. It isn't so specific that you're just playing what is written in the script.
2: So Bruce, yeah. did you did you watch the uh, original Salem's Lot when it came out on TV in the seventies?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's so much of that. You know, you go back to that stuff and you think, what were they doing?
2: It's it's pretty incredible that like that one was one that was on TV, considering that was made by Toby Hooper, who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The fact that the guy that did Texas Chainsaw got a mini series TV adaptation on is pretty pretty incredible
1: but in the 70s we were also entertained by battle of the network stars too so go figure <sighs> well chris what's see. your news
0: my news is uh denis villeneuve has been uh saying a lot of things i think uh there's no real like one individual news item denis villeneuve uh, who was the director of uh, Blade Runner 2024, The Arrival uh, before 2049. that? 2049. 2049, yes. Um, and he is the director of the upcoming Dune adaptation, which is going to be coming out simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. And he has been a very vocal opponent to the idea of this movie not being theater only for a Long period of time, or a respectable period of time, I suppose. I'm not even paraphrasing when I say that. Um, but he is saying that the pandemic is basically, you know, the the biggest, you know, worst thing to happen to film in a long time. Which, you know, sure. Uh, but he, as of I think today, has been saying that he's not going to allow screener links to be sent out to reviewers. Because he doesn't want anyone to review the film having not seen it on the big screen. and it's it's hard to not be very sympathetic with this guy uh, as as a creator of some very, very big budget IP uh, stuff that he and the entire you know everyone in the in the credits has put you know a tremendous amount of blood sweat and tears into. And, you know, You want it to be seen in this huge way so i don't know but it also it just sucks because it's like i don't you know there's there's a lot of people that have really good reasons to not go to a theater and see these things
1: uh right now my tv is better than some of the theaters i've been in (laughs) I, i can get the same experience if i sit a little closer it's like it's widescreen
2: it's a, it really feels like he is not expecting there to be a sequel that he's going to be working on with how much just like uh, he's been talking about the rollout for this movie and everything that Warner Brothers has done.
0: Yeah. Yep. But it seems like it's something where it's more like he wasn't consulted in this or he was basically forced to you know, have his film go out in this way. Uh, and he's just not at all happy with it. And I mean, I get it. Like I said, I totally get it. Uh, and, but there's, there's really just no, no two ways about it. And there's no way for him to like, he can't, you know, all of a sudden embrace this idea where, He's just like, no, I'm really, I I just want people to see it. And yeah, he wants people to see it, but he wants people to see it in this very specific way. Uh, And Bruce, I mean, you're someone who I would imagine, you know, you've made sure that your TV settings are good and you've got like a nice, you know, setup and everything. Whereas you know how how many people still haven't figured out how to turn off motion smoothing or you know smart motion or whatever it is that's on the TVs that makes things look like it's all you know reality TV regardless of what you're watching and you know at least in a theater you have kind of a baseline expectation of what the quality of the screening is going to be
1: like and yeah i've had if, terrible if times they do the I- right thing i've had screenings where it's been out of focus for a while and um the sound is either too loud or not loud enough, you know, so it's not like it's perfect condition. He's thinking it's Los Angeles screening conditions and you get out here in the rest of the country and they're not exactly the same. No, they're not necessarily the same, but I feel
0: like the, the baseline experiences are still going to be elevated from a lot of home home theater experiences. And I'm, I mean, as someone who has watched a tremendous amount of things that were in theaters over the past 18 months solely on on a tv either sitting on my desk where i can you know see it directly from where i'm sitting or uh you know tv in the living room uh these are you know i mean there's give and take there's convenience and there's you know having more people see the thing that you made and relate to it and talk about it and you know connect to what you're doing and appreciate it and then there's, you know, having it be the, the ideal scenario and, you know, you're just, uh, it's just going to have to fall into that middle. And like I guess I, I appreciate his frustration and yeah. So I feel for him and I mean, that's that's one of the handful of films that I will go see in a theater just because it seems like it's, I mean, it's it's also, he's building up a lot of pressure. I mean, for this to be a movie that is already a little bit behind the eight ball because the first adaptation was, uh, I think has a cult status now, David Lynch's uh, adaptation of Dune.
2: It was one of the biggest disasters ever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, completely. Uh, And I mean, it's been, it's a book that has been maybe not marketed as, but said to be unfilmable for a very long time. And so he is, I think building up that much more expectation. Like if he's, if he's going to make everybody, you know, he's like, everyone has to go see this and it ends up being a stinker, which it very well could be. It is not an easy thing to adapt these, you know, to make these sandworms feel as, you know, threatening and, or, you know, potentially docile, I guess, <laughs> you know, I'm not really spoiling anything, but um yeah, it's a, uh, it's going to be a a lot of the suspension of disbelief is going to be really hard uh, for, for anything in Dune. And yeah, there's, there's a big, big risk that he's taken. So, or maybe it's him just knowing that it's going to be that good. Cats now and forever. Exactly. Well, uh, what have you guys got coming up, Bruce? Any, uh, any interviews that are dropping?
1: Oh, I've been doing a lot, a lot, because we're doing all TV shows now. So I'm getting all that out of the way. And it's a lot of stuff. Boy, there's a lot of things that are, I don't know. Uh, I think they're scaring us in terms of like, how life is so bad out there, or murders at whatever. It's But there's a lot of bad stuff. And there's going to be a whole herd of things coming around 9-11 time um, that we'll talk about that. And that's, I don't know. I, I want something funny. I want to laugh. I'm looking for that. And I don't know that anybody's writing that. But next week I'm seeing Sean Chi. So get ready.
2: Uh, the main stuff for me, a lot of weekends in a row now for work, I've been doing some really fun uh, deep dives into various local uh, history stuff around here, especially uh, like music stuff has been a couple of them. That's actually one I'm doing again this week about a, a local... Uh, Jazz musician around here who put out uh, an album that's pretty much now impossible to find and is at least uh, $78, if not more, on Discogs and some of those other uh, websites, if you can even uh, find a copy. So I uh, wrote about uh, j- local jazz musicians and very rare album recordings. So. That sounds
0: awesome. I just put out a, a podcast uh, for the late edition Crime Beat Chronicles uh, program that I do for Lee Enterprises, uh, interview with a reporter who fielded the call early in the morning one night after Elvis Presley stopped a fight in Madison, Wisconsin in 1977. So that is very worth uh, tracking down. Late edition Crime Beat Chronicles, there's two other seasons that precede that. And then we got this one-off uh, interview with with the reporter who did that back in 1977, uh, all of which is really worthwhile. So people can track that down if they feel so inclined. And uh, yeah. You want to take us out?
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, what I will say uh, this go around is that, um, you know, you don't have to have uh, a song in your heart or, uh, you know, lyrics on the tip of your tongue. When you go see a musical, all you have to do is just go to a theater and see it, see, see a good musical see a good this is so bad see a good this is the first stinker. see a good musical see a good drama see a good comedy don't see don't breathe too um and if you avoid seeing don't breathe too you you'll almost assuredly have seen something good or at least better than don't breathe too so see something good and by that i mean don't see don't breathe too
0: see something good you know they they can't all be zingers right they can't all be zingers so that is the end of the episode Next week, I'm sure that we'll get into some good stuff talking about the latest iteration of Candyman, which will be hitting theaters, so make sure that you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen in. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself as well if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I am the one who records and edits it. We hope you enjoyed the show and are taking care of yourselves out there. As always, thank you so much for listening.